Hey, Northridge, how are you guys? Good to see you. My name is Pete Wilson, and uh, I am a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. That would be the home of country music. Any fan? Any fa- oh, there's one fan. One person that likes country music. That's good. That's a, that's, a, that's a good start. And it's an honor to be back here with you guys. I was here last summer and uh, got, to, got to be a part of your summer and just fell in love with this place. Like, I just love this church and love the hearts of the people here and like, like this kind of stuff. This is crazy. Isn't this awesome? I'm not kidding you. In, in Nashville, we have to go to like like Cabela's or somewhere like that to see that kind of set up. Like, I mean, that's incredible. I want to live in that tent. I'm from Tennessee. We do that. I mean, like, I, I just want to move here and just like be a part of all this. It's just, it is. It's so amazing. And, and I'm convinced that like, I would drive, I would drive from Nashville every weekend to be a part of this church if you didn't have to go through the state of Ohio. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, you guys are so hard on Ohio. You know, it's funny. I can, I can joke about Ohio because my, my whole family is actually from Ohio. My parents are from Toledo and my grandparents still live in Toledo. My grandpa uh, pastored a church there for over 30 years in Toledo. And so I kind of spent my summers up in this area. And so it's just, it is, it's great to be here and love you guys, love this church, love how God's using you. And if you have a Bible with you, uh, we're going to look at a, a story in the book of Genesis. Um, this is a, um, I, I think it's a fun, you know, a fun story. You guys are in a series called Unforgettable, and I'm going to share for you what, to, to you, what has been an unforgettable journey for me. And this is a, it, it's a, it's a unique journey, although it's really not, because my journey it's probably the same as a lot of you guys. And this has been a journey I've been on for about 20 years now, ever since I was a Christian. I became a Christian at a really early age. And um, it's just something I've kind of wrestled with, this, this tension that I've had. And the, the best way I know how to set up what I want to talk about today is to read you a journal entry that I wrote a little bit earlier this year. And I don't, I need to say this, because how many of you journal? There aren't any journalers? Okay, like these are, look around, those are very like spiritual people, people who journal. Um, I, I'm not a journaler, like I've journaled like about six times in my entire life, so I feel like I need to say that before I read this. I don't want it to sound like I journal all the time. I wish I did. Uh, but this is a journal entry that I wrote earlier this year that I, I think kind of sets up really what I want to talk about today. So this is what I wrote. It says, sometimes my life is a mess, which a lot of you could have wrote this journal entry, right? Sometimes my life is a mess. After a couple decades of trying to follow Jesus, I keep losing him. I know Jesus is there somewhere, but it's difficult to make him out in the ordinary moments of everyday life. For as long as I can remember, I've wanted to be a godly person. I've wanted God to use my life to make a difference. Yet when I look at the yesterdays of my life, what I see mostly is a broken, littered path with mistakes and failure. I say I want to walk with Jesus, but most of the time, however, I feel like I'm running away from Jesus into the arms of my own self-centered, ego-driven, materialistic desires. I want to know God better. I want to be consistent. But right now, the only consistency in my life 
is my inconsistency. There is, and this is the kind of embarrassing part to read, but there is an alarming gap between who I want to be and who I actually am. Now, that gap is that tension that I've kind of wrestled with ever since I became a Christian. This gap that so many of you know about, right? The gap in between who we are today and who we really know we could be, right? Who it is that God created us to be. And what has happened in my life, and and I bet, again, it's happened to you guys, because really, when you pick up the Bible and you kind of read through the Bible, we see this kind of consistent theme that mankind, human beings, we have this tendency to chase after things that do not satisfy us, have never satisfied us, and never have any hope of satisfying us, yet we chase after it anyway. And I've done that. My whole life, I continue to chase after things that don't satisfy, have never satisfied, and never have any hope of satisfying. And I'm going to show you just an example. Again, we could pick almost any story, almost any story out of the Bible and to illustrate this point. But I want to pick out this one in Genesis chapter 29 because I think it does kind of shed some light on this journey, on this tension that so many of us feel, all right? So I'm going to read this story to you. And now I want you to know in advance, especially for those of you who, who aren't Christians, all right? Or maybe you're, you're not even sure if you believe in the Bible. Maybe you don't know much about the Bible. Um, as I tell this story, what you're going to be thinking is, that is a really weird story. And I want you to know that those of us who are Christians, we agree with you. This is a really weird story, all right? It is just a weird story. So I don't want you to feel like you're alone, all right? This is a story of a young man by the name of Jacob, all right? Jacob's parents were Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca have uh, twin boys. Jacob's one of them. Esau's the other one, all right? Esau is the eldest twin brother, all right? He was born a few minutes early, which, which in our culture doesn't mean a lot, okay? But in this culture... It's a big deal because they had this thing called the birthright, which meant that you, if you were the eldest, all right, the eldest son, you had access to money and, and to power, all right? It's a big deal. Um, well, uh, Esau has the birthright, um, but Esau and Jacob, they had this kind of weird twin thing relationship going on, and a lot of things went on, and, and one day, uh, Jacob ends up kind of negotiating and getting the birthright from his brother, Right? Now, this didn't set well at all with Esau. And so Esau vows to kill Jacob. Now, Jacob, the younger brother, um, does what all younger brothers do when the older brother vows to kill them. Uh, he runs, all right? And he's like, I got to get out of here. So he takes off to live with his uncle Laban, which is his mother's brother. All right? You following me? Because there'll be a quiz afterwards, all right? Uh, and so he runs off, and that's where we're going to pick up this story, all right? In Genesis chapter 29, it says, now Laban, all right, that's the uncle, right? Jacob's uncle. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, which is a very interesting biblical way of saying that she had been hit by the ugly stick, okay? Um, <laughs> 
it's not my story. I'm not making this stuff up, right? I told you, it's, it's weird, right? Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel, of course he was, right? And said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So again, some huge cultural differences of what's going on several thousand years ago. And the way that, you know, you married someone was much, much different. He vows that, you know, he wants to work seven years to get Laban's daughter, Rachel. You know, he's in love with this girl. Verse 19, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you, some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Oh, yeah, exactly. In our culture, we think, gosh, this is so sweet. Like, this is so romantic. Like, in our culture, we would make a movie out of this, and it'd probably star some vampires, okay? Um, but, listen, this is not sweet. This is not romantic. This is sick, all right? Scholars, scholars point out this was an enormous price to pay for a bride. In fact, it's four times Right, four times the normal price to pay for a bride. Right? Verse 21, it says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her. In other words, he says, I can't wait to have sex with your daughter. Give her to me now. <laughs> now listen, I know there's some single dudes here at Northridge. Listen, I, I don't give a lot of dating advice because I'm just not good at it. I'm, well, I mean, I, like I'm married now, so I don't date. But I mean, I date my wife. You follow me, right? But I, I used to date. And I wasn't good at it back when I did date. But I'll give you some free dating advice, all right? There will be a day, more than likely, you're going to fall in love uh, with some young woman. And you're going to want to marry her. And you're going to do the honorable thing. And you're going to go and you're going to sit down with your future father-in-law. And you're going to ask him for his daughter's hand in marriage. When you do that, don't use that line right there. It will not turn out well for you, okay? All right, it will not turn out well. So what we have here is a young man who's overwhelmed with emotional and sexual longing for one woman. So now we have to ask why. Well, if you know anything about Jacob, if you kind of understood the backstory of his life, he's a very empty person. Um, His father Isaac, for whatever reason, favored his older brother Esau. Isaac never gave Jacob a lot of attention. Jacob did a lot of things to try to get on his dad's radar. Um, So he has this kind of emptiness. He has this wound because he doesn't have his father's love. Some of you know all about that wound, right? Some of you have spent like a lot of your life and you've done some crazy things just trying to get on your dad's radar. You just want your dad to notice you, to accept you to love you, to pay attention to you. So you, you know about Jacob's emptiness. Jacob has a brother who's vowed to kill him. So he thinks he's never going to see his family again. Some of you know all about that kind of relational conflict. You have a sibling, or it could be a parent, um, a cousin, a friend, where there's just a lot of relational conflict. And, and you know the emptiness that that's kind of created in your life. Um, Jacob lived in a culture also that had a lot of misconceptions about who God was. And one of the crazy misconceptions they had in Jacob's culture was that if your life was going well, circumstantially, if your relationships were going well, if you had a lot of money, it meant God was blessing you. 
God loved you. God cared for you. But circumstantially, if things were falling apart, it meant that God didn't love you, that he didn't know, that he didn't care. So since Jacob's life is falling apart, he would have made the faulty assumption that God didn't care about him either. So you got a young man who he's just empty inside. And so he thinks to himself, if I could just get the love and the acceptance of this one woman, it would fix my life. Now his uncle Laban begins to pick up on the fact that like there is just something not quite right with this boy, all right? And so in verse 22, Laban deceives him, plays a trick on him, all right? It says in verse 22, Laban brought together all the people of the place and he gave a feast. In other words, this is the wedding feast, all right? And we all know Jacob desperately wants to marry Rachel. He spent seven years serving for Rachel. But look what Laban does. Verse 23, when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, remember Leah, the stick, the wrong girl, okay, and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. Verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. Surprise, right? I I don't even know how that happens, but it did, all right? So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? So Laban was like, oh, you didn't know? You thought that was Rachel? Like, oh man, this is the way it works. The tradition is the oldest daughter has to get married first. So you married Leah. So Jacob's like, all right, whatever, man. I'll work for you seven more years if I can marry Rachel. I love what one commentator says about this story. He said this, this story is a miniature of our disillusionment. For no matter what we put our hopes in, in the morning, it's always Leah. Never Rachel. Think about that. In the morning, it's always Lee. It's never Rachel. No matter what we put our hopes in. You know, we chase after a lot of things in life, don't we? For some of you, again, it's like, you're like, man, if I could just get like a college degree, I I would be somebody. And you got it. It didn't pay off though. For some of you, you thought, oh, if I could just get married. Or if we could just have kids. Or if you could just move into this size house. If I could just get that corner office, right? If I could just retire. If, if, if I could just get this, then my life would be complete. I would be happy. I would be satisfied. My identity would be complete. And we run and we chase after all these things. But in the morning, it's always Leah. It's never Rachel. It's never what we think it's going to be. Now, for me in my life, this unforgettable journey... It's come back to the exact same issue that Jacob had. I have spent an embarrassing amount of time in my life trying to gain the approval of other people. Thinking that if I could just get them to approve of me, if I could get them to like me, that would be somebody. That I would finally have peace. That I would finally be happy. That I would finally feel a sense of significance. But let me tell you, You spend your life chasing after the approval of people. And it messes you up in a lot of different ways. We only got a few minutes. I want to share with you two ways specifically that I think it can really mess with you. Ready for this? Here's the first thing that happens when you spend your life chasing after the approval of other people. Number one is you're destined for mediocrity. Destined for mediocrity. Here's why. Those of you who are Christians, followers of Christ, you, you already know this, right? 
from time to time, God calls you in your life to go against the flow. Every once in a while, God will kind of inspire you to, um, to stand up when nobody else is standing up. God will inspire you to do something that is, you know, beyond ordinary. All right? Now, the problem with it is this. We tend to travel in packs. I call them herds. All right? we, we tend to travel in herds as human beings. We like to be in the middle of a herd. That's where we feel safest, surrounded by people who are like us. So we tend to move in herds with people who look like us, who dress like us, who speak like us, who have about the same education level, who make about the same amount of money, people who think like us, people who believe like us. We travel in these herds. So you're kind of traveling along in life, and then God inspires you again to go against the flow. God calls you to uh, do something out of the ordinary, all right? Which requires you to do what? Split off from the herd. Well, when you split off from the herd, the herd is going to do what the herd always does, which is criticize. Now, if you're a person over here who you spent your entire life seeking the approval of the people around you, that's where you get your identity from. When the herd criticizes you, what are you going to do? You're going to fall right back in with the pack. That's why your life will be destined for mediocrity. First time I saw this, I was 21 years old. I was in college. I was serving as a youth pastor at a small kind of country church in Kentucky. And um, I felt like God was calling me to start a church which is kind of a crazy thing, you know, when you're 21 years old. And I don't know how to start a church. I don't know, do you go, is there a class for that? Do you read a book? Like, how, how do you do that, right? And um, I resigned from that church because I, you know, I like, if this is what God's calling me to do, this is what I'm going to do. And I resigned from the church. They were really kind about it, threw me this party. It's last night. I'm there with the youth group. Uh, we're leaving. Uh, the church. It's, it's late. I thought I was the last one leaving the church. I thought I was locking it up. This is the last time I'm going to be in this building. Um, and when I'm leaving the church, they, they had this like little library. And um, I, like my church in Nashville, we don't have a library. Like we have, we have a cafe because we drink coffee, but we don't read. Okay. So we don't have a library, but uh, some churches have libraries. This church had a library. And so I'm walking by the library and I hear two guys talking, uh, which kind of threw me off because I thought I was the only one there. Then I heard them mention my name. So I stopped to listen. Uh, now, don't judge me. It's not eavesdropping if you hear your name, all right? <laughs> I looked it up. It's cool, all right? And so, um, I was, but I shouldn't have listened because, listen, it, they were going on and on. Who does Pete think he is? Like, Pete doesn't know how to lead. Pete doesn't know how to preach. You know, uh, Pete doesn't have any money. Pete doesn't have any people. Pete doesn't know where in the world he's even going to start this church. Listen, everything that they were saying was absolutely true. But it crushed me. Because these were two guys that I really looked up to. And these were two guys that I respected and I loved. And hearing them say all these things just threw me for a loop and I ran out of that church that night and I got in my car in that church parking lot and I just started to pray and I was like God they're right they're so right I don't know how to start a church I can't do this I don't know why I listen to you sometimes like this is going to be a disaster and I'm just kind of arguing with God in my car 
And, and I've never heard God's voice. I, I would like to, like, just once. I, I've never, like, heard God's audible voice. But I really sensed in that moment God was saying to me, Pete, you have a really important decision you've got to make here. Because for the rest of your life, I'm going to call you to do things that just sometimes are not going to make sense to the people around you. And so I need for you to decide. Are you going to live your life for the approval of other people? Or are you going to live your life listening to my voice? What's it going to be? And I remember the tension of that moment. I'm telling you, unforgettable. And this may sound really weird to some of you, but that night I got out of my car and I got down on my knees in that church parking lot and I just said, God, my life is yours. And I don't care where you call me to go and I don't care what you call me to do. I mean, as long as, you know, we don't have to go to Ohio, like, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I'm yours, God. I will do it. I, I am in. And I'm telling you, listen, there are a lot of different words that people use to describe my life these days, but mediocre is not one of them. And I just want to encourage you, some of you, because like, I have this, this, this sense that there's probably a bunch of you that are in similar situation where you sense God prompting you to do something that maybe doesn't make a whole lot of sense to the people around you. And you're like, you're like, oh, I, 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 I don't know. I, don't. I just want to encourage you. Live your life listening to the voice of the one who created you. Not trying to live in and fit in for the approval of other people. Choosing to be real over being liked will not be the safest thing that you do today. But it might be the most God-honoring thing that you do today. All right? Here's the second thing that will happen. Second thing that will happen is you're, you're destined for exhaustion. All right? You'll be destined for exhaustion if you live your life for the approval of other people. Um, you know what word's driving me nuts these days? It's the word authenticity. It's a real buzzword, especially in the church. My church throws that word around all the time. Authenticity, authenticity. The reason that word drives me nuts is because I don't know if there's ever been a word that has been more overused in the church and underlived out. Authenticity is the cry of all, but it is the game of few. I'm telling you, it's one of the things I love about your pastor. Brad is one of the most authentic people I've ever met. Right? He just, he is who he is. Right? You get what you see. He's not pretending to be somebody that is not. Right? He, he just, and, and that's one of the reasons I think, there's many, but it's one of the reasons I think God is so powerfully using Brad, not only here, but really around the world. Because he's authentic. And that's rare in our culture. And whenever you see someone who's authentic, people generally are very drawn to those individuals. Now, the reason so few people are authentic is because it takes a tremendous amount of courage to be real. Now, I define authenticity the same way many of you do, which is, it's, it's just kind of the art of letting go of who you think you should be in order to embrace who Christ created you to be. And letting go of who you think you should be and embracing who it is that Christ created you to be will be one of the most courageous battles you will ever fight in your life. But I want to encourage you today to fight it. It takes courage to be real about your weaknesses. It takes courage 
to give up trying to live up to all the expectations of the people around you. It takes courage to break off from that herd, right? It takes courage to interview for a job that you're not sure you're going to get. And it takes courage to say, I love you first. It takes courage to try something you're not sure you'll be a success at. It takes courage to create art. It takes courage. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to just say, I need help. I am hurt. I am broken. I am lonely. And I need help. And let me tell you one of the greatest ironies of this whole deal. For those of you who struggle like I do with wanting to live for the approval of other people. Um, one of the greatest ironies is all the posing that we do. All the covering up that we do in order to try to get other people to approve of us. That's the one thing that actually keeps us from getting the thing that our heart so desires for. Because the reality is you can only be loved to the extent that you are known. It's true, right? You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. For example, um, my wife, her name is Brandy. If I'm keeping some secrets from Brandy, if there's some things going on in my life I'm not telling her about, even if Brandy looks me right in the eyes and says, Pete, I love you. If I'm keeping those secrets from her, I can't receive that love. Why? Because my mind, even as she looks at me, she says, I love you. My mind is saying, no, she doesn't. She doesn't really love you. If she knew what you did two weeks ago, if she knew what you did two years ago, she, she wouldn't be saying that. See, you can only be loved to the extent that you are known. And that's why for those of us who struggle with this whole thing of trying to be somebody we're not in order to get the approval of other people, the most important thing we can do is to be authentic about our weaknesses. The most important thing we can do is be authentic about our weaknesses and bask in the reality that we have this God who loves us unconditionally. His love for you is not based on your performance. His love for you is not based on your accomplishment. Right? It, it, it's unconditional, no strings attached. You are worthy, every one of you, you are worthy of his love. You belong to him. Um, let me tell you one more story uh, to kind of illustrate this point. Uh, several years ago, I was in a really dark place in my ministry. And uh, it's just a dark place in life. And I wanted out of ministry. I wanted to do anything other than being a, a pastor. And I, I didn't care what that was. Like anything other than being a pastor. And I was, um, I was under a lot of stress. I just couldn't live up anymore to the expectation of all the people. I had slipped right back into one of these seasons where I'm living my life for the approval of other people. I, I remember this specific day. It was a Saturday. That morning I had read a couple emails that threw me for a loop. There were just some nasty emails and it just... It just destroyed my heart because, again, I was looking at them for my approval, for my identity. So those couple, I had a couple emails. Then um, that Saturday night, I had a wedding. I was performing this wedding, and it was a very stressful wedding. Um, if you're watching online, it wasn't your wedding because I really liked your wedding. Like, 
Your wedding was great. I mean, everybody loved your wedding, all right? This was somebody else's wedding, all right? So, so um, stressful wedding. I'm driving home. It's on Saturday night. And I'm just thinking about everything. Tomorrow is Sunday. I'm thinking about the message I've got to give. I'm not really ready. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, just, I, I'm just talking to God. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. I'm serious, God. I cannot do this anymore. And I, I've never had a, like a panic attack. But this is the closest thing I've ever felt to that. I'm sitting at this red light on Green Hills Road. Right, we have a, a it's called Green Hills Mall. And it's actually Hillsborough Road in front of Green Hills Mall. I'm sitting at this red light. And I feel the weight of the world on my chest. I almost feel like I, just, I can't even breathe in this moment. And I'm crying so hard while I'm begging God to let me out of ministry. I'm crying so hard I have to take my sunglasses off. Now, let me, let me tell you a quick story about these sunglasses, all right? A couple months before this moment at the red light, I w- was out of town with my family. I lost my sunglasses, and so I walk into, we're, we're on the beach. I walk into one of these sunglass stores that has like 10,000 pairs of glasses. You know what I'm talking about? There's like, there's... There's a billion glasses there, and I, I just need a pair of sunglasses, and I'm kind of in a hurry because Brandy, my wife, and my three boys are outside waiting for me, so I grabbed this pair of glasses, right, and I bought these glasses. So, <laughs> it's, it's so funny because that is exactly how my wife reacted when I walked out of the sunglass store. She's laughing, and I said, why, babe, why are you laughing? She said, um, I'm pretty sure you just bought women's sunglasses, I was like, no, these are not women's sunglasses. These are totally dude sunglasses. Like, these are cool glasses, babe. Like, I'm, I'm, these are my, I'm, I got these glasses. I already bought them, all right? No going back. So we go out to dinner that night, um, and we're on the beach. We're sitting outside, so I have my sunglasses on. So I have the waiter take a picture of our family, and then I tweeted that picture out. My best friend texted me within five seconds, and he says, dude, where did you get the chick glasses? And so I want you guys to know that I know that these maybe aren't the manliest glasses in the world, all right? But they are dude's glasses, all right? And so I'm sitting there at, at the red light, all right? I'm, I'm having like my panic attack, you know, I want out, you know, uh, and I, I'm, again, I'm crying so hard I have to take the glasses off. When I take the glasses off, I notice something I had never noticed before in the two months that I had these glasses, but on the inside, and you, you won't be able to see this. I can show you afterwards. But it's like size four font. But it says Fortress. That's the brand name of the sunglasses. Which is a very manly name, by the way. Fortress. Like Fortress, right? So Fortress. Um, and then next to Fortress, it says PS. It's so tiny. PS 18 colon 2. Which stands for Psalms 18, 2. I was like, dang. Not only are these girl glasses, but they are Christian girl glasses. (laughs) Now, at the time, I've actually met this guy since then, but I I didn't realize this, but there's a Christian businessman who has started a line of sunglasses, and on, on the inside of every, some of your sunglasses probably have this and you've never noticed it, but on the inside of every pair of glasses, he puts that little itty bitty verse. 
right? I had never seen this before. Now, I'm sitting in a truck. I had just done this stressful wedding, so I had my Bible with me. So I'm like, holy cow, like God is talking to me through my sunglasses. I got to look up this verse, right? I grew up Baptist, and he did not talk through sunglasses to Baptists, right? So this was a big deal. So I'm like, Psalms 18.2, Psalms 18.2, and sitting there in my, the truck, in this moment, this is what I read. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, my place of safety. And I just sensed in that moment God saying to me, Pete, you're doing it again. You're running after the approval of all these people and trying to shape your identity around their approval of you. But Pete, listen, stop running to all of them and just come to me because I'm your rock and I'm your fortress. I'm your savior. I'm your safe place. Just listen, just come to me because I can give you what none of those other people's approval can give you. And I'm telling you, in that moment, I just really, I know this sounds kind of goofy to, to some of you, but I just, I sense this unbelievable peace. And what if, I don't know, I mean, what if? What if you're here today and it's not an accident? What if you're sitting where you're sitting right now in this moment because God wanted to just remind you that you're not alone? Maybe God wanted to remind you that he is your rock and he's your shield. He's your fortress. He's your savior. He's your safe place. What if today you just needed a reminder that you need to stop running and chasing after whatever it is that you're chasing after? Maybe it's approval. Maybe it's accomplishment. I don't know what it is. But maybe God just needed to rattle your cage just a little bit today to just remind you you're not alone. And that he really is enough. There's one last verse I want to just read to you as we close. It's found in Matthew chapter 11. And this is Jesus this unbelievable just invitation really to all of us. Jesus said this. He said, come to me. So Matthew 11, verse 20, he says, come to me. It's almost like he knew that this morning a bunch of us would be chasing after something else. And so he's like, no, 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 no. Don't run after the approval of other people. Don't run after a con- Look, Just come to me. Come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened. All of you who are tired, all of you who are burnt out, all of you who are stressed, all of you who kind of feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. Hey, could could we have just um, one of those authentic moments? Could we just be real? Would, Would there be some of you that would be so brave today to be able to raise your hand and say, that's me right now. I feel weary and burdened. How many of you would raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I feel weary. I feel kind of burdened in my life right now. I want you guys to look around. Just look around at this. Because I want you to sense that you're not alone. Okay, you guys can put your hands down. He says, he's talking to you, by the way. He says, he says come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke, or uh, that really just means it, take my way upon you and learn from me. 
For I am, this is such good news, I am gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your, what's, what's that word there? Souls. You see what he did right there? Jesus is so brilliant. He, he put his finger on the real issue, didn't he? Because the exhaustion that you feel in your life is not the kind of exhaustion that's going to go away with a long Sunday afternoon nap. It's not the kind of exhaustion that's going to go away with a nice two-week summer vacation. Because you are exhausted at the soul level. In other words, you're exhausted at a place that only Jesus himself can heal. So he says, come to me, all of you who are weary, you're burdened, I'm going to give you rest for your soul, for my yoke or my way is easy and my burden is light. So maybe we have a moment right now where we do exactly what Jesus said, where we take him up on his invitation and we just come to him. Would you guys bow your head and close your eyes? And first, I, I, I would love... As you bow your head and close your eyes, I would love to talk to those of you who, maybe for whatever reason, you, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe someone invited you to church today and it's your first time at Northridge. Maybe, maybe you've been here for weeks and months trying to figure out what this whole following Jesus thing means. And maybe you've listened to Pastor Brad's messages before and, and like you're there, like you just, for whatever reason, you just haven't taken that step of faith. And maybe today, maybe today you would do that. And maybe just sitting where you're sitting, you, you would just say this prayer in your heart along with me. You, you just maybe pray something like this today. Maybe you just say, dear God, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. It's as much as I understand about Jesus in this moment, I want to ask him into my life for the forgiveness of of my sins. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he gave my life for me and now I want to follow him. And we believe that the Bible teaches that's just the beginning of your relationship with Jesus. That's the start. And now you get to spend the rest of your life figuring out exactly what that means but basking in the grace and the forgiveness of an incredible God. Maybe you're here today and you've been a Christian for a long time. But the reality is for you, you started to chase after some other things. And maybe you've been chasing after approval or you've been chasing after accomplishment to give you something that only Jesus himself could give you. And maybe today you just needed the reminder that you're not alone. And so maybe sitting where you're sitting, you would just pray in your heart right now and say, dear God, thank you for your grace. I'm sorry that I've been chasing after and pursuing all these other things, but I want to receive your invitation this morning to just come to you. So God, I bring you my stress and I bring you my anxiety. I bring you my conflict. I bring you my exhaustion and I ask you Jesus to heal me at a soul level to give me what only you can give me God we thank you so much for this day we thank you so much for this amazing church 
for the difference that they are making here in Michigan and really all around the world. God, I pray that you would just continue to bless every single one of them. I pray they'll continue to just discover the joy of what it means as we become fully devoted followers of yours. For it's in your holy, it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Hey, before you guys take off today, can I point out one more thing? There's a connection card. Uh, If you're a regular attender or member here, I know that you know about this. It's kind of attached to your program. It kind of tears off. This is a really, really important piece of information for Northridge, okay? They want you to know that your visit here Right, your presence here is is really really important, and so there, there's uh, all all kinds of different things you can fill in on here, uh, different ways you can get connected uh, and, and be known in this place. But I, I want to point this out at the very bottom, it, it kind of highlighted in the yellow. It says this: Today I prayed to receive Jesus Christ in my life for the first time, and if you prayed that prayer today, would you do us? the honor, the privilege of just marking that on there. And then on the backside, it, it, it tells you where you can take this card. They also have an incredible class here called Starting Point. You heard a little bit about that earlier. I really want to encourage you, if you're looking for a next step and understanding what it means to follow Jesus, that would be a great next step, all right? Thank you guys so much for letting a boy from Nashville come up and spend the day with y'all. Um, uh, thank you. I love you guys. Love your church. Have a great weekend and uh, make sure you're back next Sunday. Okay. See you.